You're listening to To Dine for the Podcast, the Shot Put Media production, presented by MasterCard. Start something priceless. What's better in life than a bottle of wine, great food, and an amazing conversation? My name is Kate Sullivan, and I am the host of To Dine For. I'm a journalist, a foodie, a traveler with an appetite for the stories of people who are hungry for more. Dreamers, visionaries, artists, those who hustle hard in the direction they love. I travel with them to their favorite restaurant to hear how they did it. This show is a toast to them and their American dream. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Terlato Wine Group, Lavazza, and American National Insurance. To Dine For the Podcast is brought to you by Riazul Tequila, referred to as one of the best sipping tequilas on the market. It comes from the highlands of Jalisco, 7,200 feet above sea level. Riazul's agave has a higher sugar content, lending itself to a sweeter taste profile. If you are looking for a true sipping tequila with extraordinary depth after being aged two years in a cognac barrel, you'll have to try Riazul Tequila. Cheers, everyone. To Dine for the Podcast is brought to you by Lavazza. Four generations of the Lavazza family have been working to perfect the art of blending coffee since 1895 with a devotion to making coffee moments special. Signature blend Lavazza Classico with its intensely rich flavor and sweet aromatic notes is a celebration of the Italian way of life in every cup and is available any way you brew your coffee. To Dine for the Podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. For 115 years, American National has remained committed to helping people and communities make a real difference in their lives. American National supports great local community organizations led by the kind of people you hear about on To Dine For, people who are inspired to make a difference and inspire others in return. American National's philosophy is helping where it's needed helps us all. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write, and the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com dine. Hi, everyone. Welcome to To Dine for the Podcast, where we meet the world's most creative and innovative minds at their favorite restaurant. On today's episode is Tim Brown. You've got to put in the time. And I think if you're going to put in the time, you want to work on something that matters to you. That is Tim Brown, the creative vision behind the shoe company Allbirds. He has an eye for design, and believe it or not, he started as a World Cup soccer player for New Zealand. He has been on a quest to not only start this company from scratch, but to bring it to new heights. For him, it's not about the specific product or sport, it's about the meaning and intention behind it. Tim earned a BS in design from the University of Cincinnati before playing professional soccer, followed by a master's in management from the London School of Economics. I cannot wait to hear the journey of Tim Brown right here on To Dine For The Podcast. Hi, Tim. How are you? Good, thank you. Yeah, thank you. Good, uh, good to meet you. It is wonderful to meet you, and thank you so much for agreeing to be on to dine for the podcast. No, 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 no. Uh, the thanks is uh, is from from me to you. Yeah, it's a real, it's a, it's a pleasure. So thank you for having me. 
So Tim, I am absolutely fascinated to hear your journey from professional soccer player all the way to the founder of Allbirds. It is quite a journey, but I'm going to begin this podcast the way I begin all of my podcasts by asking your favorite restaurant. If you could take me to one restaurant somewhere in the world, where would it be? Well, to take you to a place in the world, I have to take you back to New Zealand. And if we go to New Zealand, we have to go to Wellington. And if we go to Wellington, we have to go to Cuba Street, which is where I lived most recently in Wellington. And it's it's sort of the cultural heart of the city. And across the road from my apartment is, is a restaurant called Logan Brown, which is special to me for a bunch of reasons, not least of which it's an expensive place and I could often not afford to eat there. <laughs> But uh, it, it's it's sited in in, in um, the home of a former bank, uh, where my my dad actually struggled to get his first mortgage to buy our first family house, and it's now it's now a restaurant. I lived across the road from it, and it's an incredible place that does sort of New Zealand ingredients, New Zealand cuisine, and New Zealand seafood, namely New Zealand power. And uh, if you're in Wellington, go check it out. Do you miss New Zealand? Uh, yeah, I do. I I, I feel um, there's so many things to be fortunate about about my journey and appreciative of my journey. And I have a wife and a couple of kids who are American and live here. And uh, but, but my my heart's in New Zealand. That's uh, that's where uh, where I grew up, where my, my folks are, my brother is. And um, yeah, there's yeah, there's a there's a lot there's a lot about that place that I think is very special. And what is it like to grow up in New Zealand? And what about it do you miss the most? Well, the food for one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think when I came over, when I left New Zealand, when I was about seventeen, eighteen, and I came to university on a soccer scholarship, and I'm still traumatized by nacho cheese coming out of a like a squeezy uh, <laughs> machine. Yes, that, uh, that's very a very American. That, yes. That's a trauma that I'm still working through, and the fact that the, that the bread didn't go off for a long time. So you know, look in my mind, the weather's always sunny, and Wellington's never windy, and so yeah, you romanticize things about home when you're away, but you know I, th- I think New Zealand's got some it is, is incredibly beautiful. It also has a has a, a a spirit and a sense of humor that I think is unique and not maybe for everyone, but also <laughs> an, an ability to kind of try really hard and work really hard and go after important things, but never take yourself too seriously. And I value that and like to think that that I've brought that here and as is a red thread through my career as well. It is a stunningly beautiful place. I've only been once, but we, my husband and I made it to both the North and the South Island. And really, it is as majestic and magical as you can see in photos or in video. It really is a very special place. I can't imagine being from there. I think I would miss it tremendously. Well, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. I was I was prepared for to having to, to really convince you that I was telling the truth, but it sounds like <laughs> so, so we're, all, we're all good. You know, it's funny. Um, not many founders start their companies in the fashion that you did. And I'd like you to kind of begin at the beginning, if you would. When you were in college, you said you were on a soccer scholarship. What did you want to do when you were in college and what were you hoping to do when you graduated? Well, gr- growing up in Wellington, I, I first uh, attended university to study architecture and mm-hmm. ended up coming over to America and studied design. And that really you know, is my, my one true professional love. I, I, I started working on that at school and and I just knew that this was going to be a part of whatever I did in the future. It just made sense. Something clicked. Less in the, in the literal sense of picking up a pencil and designing, being aesthetically good at design, but, but more as a, a process of thinking that allowed me to kind of creatively break down problems. And I, I just had an incredible experience. And 
at, at the end of that, I, I had what I, I call an accidental sporting career. A lot of people told me that I probably couldn't and shouldn't. Uh, I didn't get drafted out of college. I got promptly visited and released by an MLS team. And But I chipped away at that and, and ultimately ended up uh, playing for just about a decade, uh, largely in Australia for the A-League. And then for Wellington, when they got a, an A-League team, which brought me back to my hometown and to Cuba Street. And so across the road from Logan Brown, when I was still playing sport, very much dreaming of going to a World Cup with New Zealand, the idea of, of the business that would become Allbirds was born in that apartment across the road from the restaurant that we started this conversation with. So it all kind of comes back full circle. And that was the beginning of the next big chapter for me post-sport. And what was the, what was the inspiration and what was the idea in that infancy stage? Well, uh, it, it was it was really sort of three things, and the first two came quite quickly, and the third one came quite a bit later. The, the first uh, really was a reaction to all the free gear I got as an athlete. Um, <laughs> you know, it's one of the best things about playing sport is getting free gear, and it was heavily logoed and largely made out of plastic. Mm. And for whatever reason, my aesthetic preference had been no logos, and I had picked them off clothes I'd worn as a kid, and and for whatever reason had struggled to find that aesthetic in, in footwear. And so that was the starting point for thinking that there might be a, an opportunity for simple and clean in, in, a, in a footwear space that was predominantly bright, loud, and logoed. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the start. And, and I, you know, again, in, in, in my downtime after training in the afternoons, I, I used to dream and sketch and think, and this was sort of one of the opportunities identif- I identified. And, and then the, the second piece of it was reading a magazine literally in the same apartment about the wool industry in New Zealand traditionally culturally very important industry that has mm-hmm. been in, in decline for a long time. Uh, peak sheep was in New Zealand in the early 1980s and then for the better part of a half century no one and you know no young New Zealander for the most part has grown up wanting to be you know a sheep farmer and and uh, lo and behold you know we're in a moment in time where I think people are awakening to the provenance of the things they wear and buy the farm to table movement and food has started to come to to the fashion industry, and, and I saw an opportunity to maybe infuse natural materials and wool into footwear in a way that hadn't been done before, and I had absolutely no idea how to do that. Okay, so let's stop you there, right? You're right at this journey. It's an idea. It's an inspiration, but it looks like, according to your resume, that you have more education that takes place, right? You go to London. Or at this point, have you already done London, or are you on your way to London? Well, first of all, I commend you on your research. That's true. <laughs> yes, so I, I'm playing football at this time, and I'm I'm deeply immersed in, in in a journey that would become really really special. And that w- that was to go to a World Cup in New Zealand. I played with this group of people for a long time. New Zealand had last been to a football World Cup, and only once before in 1982. So there was one wow. looming in two, 2010. It all laddered back, and we went through all the qualifying, beat all the teams, and it came down to one game in early November 2009 in Wellington, not far from my apartment, against Bahrain, and we won, and we were the 32nd team to qualify for the 2010 World Cup. And I, I, It was this incredible experience, and in the background, I was working on my business and doing different things, but I was fundamentally trying to achieve this thing and be part of this very special group that did that, and we did, and then afterwards, I, I realized it was never going to get any better than that. I'd always imagined going back to school. Uh, business was becoming more of, a, of, of of something I was thinking about. I'd actually been born in London. I'd always wanted to go back there. So I retired from sport in 2012 and went back to, to business school in London and took with me you know, a four or five year volume of pretty average work thinking about a wool shoe. And so that was really the sequence. Oh, okay, that that's actually very helpful. So the seed is in your in the back of your head. You end up in business school. 
you know, looking back, was the business school the right path for you? What would have happened had you just launched right into Allbirds? Or did you feel like you needed that background? Did you need that setup to accomplish what you wanted to accomplish? Yeah, it's a great question. I, you know, I, a couple of things. I, I had a couple more years on my, 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 my sporting contract. So I think I would have kept playing and, and, and I felt like for the first time in a long time that it stopped being the most important thing and I was going to be no good to anyone. I was barely good to anyone when I was completely, you know, it was the most important thing. And so there was an element of that, of wanting to kind of leave on my own terms and, and, and leave in the right way. And the other part of it was feeling like I had some real gaps. I mean, I, I, mm. I, and I, I needed to go back to school and study all the subjects I'd avoided um, mm-hmm. in, 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 the, in my previous academic career. And um, it was fascinating and fantastic. And I went back and I was like a sponge and I was sitting in the back of the class at the London School of Economics, hoping no one would ask me any questions because I had never studied economics before. And literally, it, it was it was beginning again. And it was just, it was magical and inspiring and exactly what I needed and a little bit of a, a, a time to really sort of literally educate myself on business and, what, and what, what that might look like. It sounded like you were really ready. You were At that point, when you went to London, you were ready to learn and you were like fully focused. You were giving the same kind of attention that you gave to soccer to your education. Yeah, I was. I think I was prepared to go backwards again. I went back to London, literally lived in a dorm and a single mm-hmm. bed, you know. And I, I invested in myself and took a lot of the the money that I'd saved and 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 garnered from the World Cup and invested it back into the next phase. And you know, I had a bunch of moments along the way, like, "What the hell am I doing? I've completely this was the wrong thing to do on so many levels." But you know, I'm really glad I did that. And I, I think somewhere along the way, you got to you got to step backwards to go forwards. And mm-hmm. along the way, you got to you got to keep investing in yourself, and you got to trust trust your instincts, and most importantly, be honest with yourself about what's important and what isn't, and and, and follow your nose on that. We'll have more on this conversation in just a minute. But first, thank you to our sponsors. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. To Dine For the podcast is brought to you by American National, offering a broad suite of insurance solutions to protect what matters most to you. There's a funny thing about most insurance commercials, whether they feature lizards or birds or funny cartoon characters. It seems like they want you to think about anything but insurance. American National, on the other hand, has real local agents who get to know you so they can help you reach better decisions about your insurance to make sure you're protecting what matters most to you. American National agents are part of your community. They're your neighbors. So whether it's solutions for your home, your small business, your farm or your life, You can count on your local American National agent to make sure you get the discounts you deserve and the protection you need without paying for extras you don't. With American National, you get an ally, not just a web page. For a description of the American National companies, the products they write in the states in which they're licensed, visit AmericanNational.com slash dine. 
To Dine for the Podcast is brought to you by Riazul Tequila, referred to as one of the best sipping tequilas on the market. It comes from the highlands of Jalisco, 7,200 feet above sea level. Riazul's agave has a higher sugar content, lending itself to a sweeter taste profile. If you are looking for a true sipping tequila with extraordinary depth after being aged two years in a cognac barrel, you'll have to try Riazul Tequila. Cheers, everyone. Now back to our conversation. Was there a crucial moment post-graduation? I know you had various jobs after graduation, but was there a seminal moment when you said, you know what, this idea that's been in the back of my head, I'm going to give it a go? Yeah, and not and not not out of preference. So I, I went to London, did the grad school, it was an amazing experience, did my best to spend all my life savings and and then started to to look for a job in London and and really struggled. I was like, oh, okay, yeah, look, I've been kicking a ball around for a living for a long time. And and people, lots of people want to talk about that. In fact, more often they're really intrigued, but they don't actually want to give me a job. <laughs> and so um uh, you know, really this entrepreneurial path became a little bit of a default. Uh, mm-hmm. I had this idea. And despite my best efforts, and I, I mean this not facetiously, it just it kept living. And this idea of a wool shoe, which brings me to the third sort of foundational insight of, of what would become Allbirds. You know, we have no logo, we have uh, wool and natural materials. And, and I had a professor at business school who said, look, this is a horrible idea. You seem really connected to it, really committed to it. Why don't you put it on Kickstarter or something so it can fail? And then you can get on with your life because you seem like one of those guys that's going to keep working on this for a long time and make yourself miserable in the fullness of time. Wow. That's what what advice, right? He's he's like, at least get on with it so you can kind of see what the reaction is just to see where you are. It's 100%. And his name's Carter Carter Carson. I'm still in touch with him. And usually in my experience, people go out of their, their way to be that direct and honest with you because- They care. They either care or they're a little bit of a knob, one or the other. And you got to you got to you got to you got to work out what that yeah. is. And and in his particular case, he was like, "Hey, there's go try this, give it right. a go." And so in 2014, I went back home for Christmas with $700 and the help of my brother. Shot a video on a family friend's sheep farm and launched the six pairs of sample wool shoes I had at that stage on Kickstarter. And it was really the beginning of the entrepreneurial path and um, and the start of what would become Allbirds. So that video that you put on Kickstarter really was the beginning. Okay, so you're getting traction. How did that video do and where did you go from there? Well, I, I had a, um, having read that magazine about the wool industry, I'd applied for and won a research grant um, oh, wow. to, to basically create a textile made of wool. And so this was happening in the backdrop while I was playing sport. And turns out it hadn't really been done before, albeit there was a lot of thinking tangentially in the space. So that kind of happened. And that was the basis of exploring how to make shoes. I found a, a factory uh, on, on Google when I was still playing and I'd started to, I walked into my first footwear factory. And so I started making shoes. And so these two things I'd sort of put together and I had enough woolen material to make about a thousand pairs of shoes, uh, albeit that I hadn't done it. And then the Kickstarter was sort of the catalyst for, okay, let's go do it. I had six pairs of, literally six pairs of samples. I wrote the script the night before, my brother's buddy helped me out. And we shot this video. You can still see it. And in four days, I had to stop it because we did $125,000 in sales, sold the 1,000 pairs, and this thing was sort of alive and kicking and moving. On fire. Forward. forward. Yeah, yeah. So well, so let me stop you there. What do you think it was that caught fire so quickly? Uh, you know, like it's like any sort of success. It's, it's built up of, of a 1,000 little things. And, and just to be super clear, when I launched the, the Kickstarter in 2014, uh, I'd been working on this project 
for the better part of six or seven years. So mm-hmm. let's just like put that out there. There's like, yeah. a, a, you know, and I'd been through, you know, a hundred prototypes. I'd visit factories. I mean, I look back on what I was doing. It was completely sort of. Hodgepodge. Yeah, it was. It was, <laughs> but it was curious and it was right. joyous and it was, it was creative. So, I mean, there was, there was a real sort of body of work. And I, I think the other thing, um, you know, I'd also gone to business school. I'd started to think about this. But at the end of the day, the Kickstarter thing was incredible because, and I looked at this a lot. I did a lot of research. Basically, Kickstarter, you have to film a video. That's the basis of any campaign. And if you don't explain yourself in the first 15 seconds, everyone stops watching and then Mm. your campaign doesn't work. So, okay, this idea that I think has this extraordinary depth and potential how do I boil it down and, and explain it in an elevator ride effectively? And do you do you remember what you said? What was those 15 seconds? Yeah, it was based on an insight that was completely wrong. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I uh, it was, and you can still watch it. It was about it was about wearing shoes with no socks, and it was based on the insight that wool has lots of qualities, but it, it uh, is uh, antimicrobial, uh-huh. so it doesn't doesn't smell. So no socks, no smell. If you want to wear shoes with no socks and no smell. Try these shoes. And it was absolutely, I mean, scientifically right. And in the fullness of time, had some real flaws, but it was it was clear and concise and 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 I uh, was the basis, I think, of of connecting people to the potential of natural fibers fibers and footwear. And what what was it about you alluded to a couple of times it was an idea that you just couldn't let go of, right? Like it was something that it it just kept going. This was clearly a passion of yours, something you had interest in. If you had to boil down, like, what was it that you really truly believed in? Was it this homage to where you're from and kind of harnessing the power of the, you know, sheep industry? Or what was it if you had to put your finger on it? No, no I mean, th- those were all really nice parts of it, uh, the story. And, and as good as it would be for, for this narrative, I didn't grow up on a sheep farm. And I didn't even grow up with a cupboard full of shoes. So along the way, my, my old man started to call me a wool cobbler. <laughs> and uh, it used to really bug me. In fact, still still does. I was just like, oh, just stop it. <laughs> no, you know, it wasn't some sort of higher spiritual calling that was driving me forward. It was a combination of my own stubbornness. Mm-hmm. I spoke to a bunch of experts along the way who seemed to come out of the woodwork to find me. And there's one storied wool company called Icebreaker that I'm a huge admirer of, actually really good friends with the founder, Jeremy Moon. And and they did amazing things of taking wool to the world. And I met with a, an executive, not Jeremy, who told me that this was a horrible idea. They'd looked at it and would never work. Mm-hmm. And so there was a bunch of those types of things along the way where you're like, oh, you know what? You're so clear that this is wrong. There's something deep inside of me is thinking that you might be missing something. Mm-hmm. And then the, the other piece of it was I'd bump into friends that I hadn't seen for a long time or even kind of casual acquaintances. And they'd be like, oh, so what's up with that wool shoe thing? It was such a, you know, why has no one done that before? There was a sort of a a nagging resilience to the idea Mm. that I just couldn't suppress. Mm. And and, and enough people that would kind of come up and sort of say, oh, yeah, what are you doing? I remember that thing. And oftentimes you're working on stuff and no one remembers anything because people are busy. And so I think there was always something to that that that, that pushed me, and a, and, a, and a series of other moments along the way with some incredible people that sort of said, "Hey, you, you have to do this. It's too good." 2014 was that Kickstarter campaign. Here we are, 2023. All birds, such a success. What do you attribute the success to? Well, I think just keeping on going. This was a bad idea for a long time before it even remotely approached being a good one. And mm. and and I, you know, look, it's it's a cliche, but you got you got to put in the time. And I think if you're going to put in the time. You want to work on something that matters to you. And along the way, 
while it wasn't always immediately there, it, it gathered momentum as I started to see this as beyond a, a problem just for me that maybe there was interest for other people. And the Kickstarter campaign started to sort of illuminate that. And then, you know, found with Joey, my co-founder, you know, who was actually an early Kickstarter customer and the husband of, of, of my wife's best friend, the purpose. And he illuminated to me along the way that shoes was an enormous business and category, which I kind of knew that shoes predominantly were made out of synthetic materials and plastics and not very nice leathers, leathers. And that was a, there was an upcoming transformation that was going to be required to remake every product and service that we use through the lens of the environment. And the fashion industry was paying lip service to this topic. And there was an opportunity mm. to build a different type of brand with this in the DNA from the beginning. And that really was a huge unlock moment for me where I found the purpose, which was not to say that it got easier post that point, as Joey and I decided to work together and launch All Birds on the 1st of March 2016. It didn't get easier, but we had a sense of sort of, you know, the larger why. And I think any good idea in any good business has that. It says that our commitment to making better shoes in a better way is fueled by a belief that the shoe industry needs to focus less on flash and more on thoughtfulness. So how does All Birds focus more on thoughtfulness? Well, it, the, the engine, it continues to be as it was from day one, natural material innovation and the belief that we're in the early stages of a transformation away from synthetic materials derived from petroleum and plastic promises from the fashion industry towards natural and sustainable ones. And that we do that not just because that's the right thing to do for the environment, but because those products and those materials make better products. People don't buy sustainable products, they buy great ones. But at the moment, for a product to be considered great today, it must consider deeply the, uh, the environment, supply chain, every aspect of how it's considered, and most are not. And so Allbirds has been founded with that in its DNA. And you know, we're now uh, north of 1,000 people, a recently public company, uh, headquartered in San Francisco, but with some offices around the world. And I think a huge opportunity to continue to be a leader in, in, in this transformation. How do you market a shoe without a logo? You said that you really hated when you were a soccer player, you hated all the logos that were on your stuff. And I'm sure that's part of the ethos of Allbirds. But, but how do you look at marketing differently? And as you like look at 2023, how are you spending your marketing dollars? And how are you thinking about how to market this shoe in a unique and innovative way? Yeah, look, I mean, there's a, a first generation of brands that are about a logo and a mark and they're applied to things. And then there's maybe a, an, ev an evolving sense of what business could and should be, which is focused not just on shareholder value, but also stakeholders and is deeply connected to the community and has, you know, has a broader sense of what, what they are. I'd like to think that Allbirds has a logo. It has a logo on, on, mm -hmm. on products. It's, you know, so we're not not doing that. And Allbirds right. is a brand. But I think we, we, we stand for something pretty deep and important. And equally, the natural materials that we use in our products create incredible comfort that people tell their friends about, they experience themselves. And that's, you know, if, if there's one thing that's fueled this rise from Cuba Street Apartment to San Francisco headquarters, it has been focusing deeply on making incredible products that people want to tell their friends about. That's what we've tried to do. I always think of comfort when I think of all birds. I don't have any all birds, but I, I, I hear everyone says how comfortable they are. And that is truly like the best word of mouth you can ever have, right? I'm not just saying that. Well, it's the number one reason why people buy shoes is comfort, but it's often right. equated, equated with ugliness. And if I could go back and do that Kickstarter campaign again, I would, I would say, hey, you know, 
that's one aspect of this, but the, 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 real, the real value proposition is comfort and let's go after that. And there's an extraordinary brand to be built here uh, on the back of natural materials to do that. Here we stand, uh, March, 2023. What's ahead for Allbirds and for you as you look forward to this year? It is funny when you have a little bit of success, uh, things get harder. So mm. just in the same way that you, you know, you graduate up through the, through the ladder of sport, lo and behold, each level, the players are better and the competition's harder. And, and so it is true in business. And so this Kickstarter campaign has now become a global company in a very short space of time that is now competing on, on a public company stage. And pressure is a privilege and mm-hmm. all those things. But uh, there's now higher expectations. We need to deliver and, and we need to prove that our environmental purpose can do what we all believe that it can, build a, a, a you know, 100-year extraordinarily profitable, successful business. And we're in the early innings of, of that journey and we've got to go prove it. And it hasn't all been plain sailing since we went public and there's been challenges and there'll be more. And But look, I mean, this this thing has been an underdog story from the beginning. And, you know, the funny thing is I sit here now and I, I would have laughed at you if you had told me how far this would have gone. And I sit here today in San Francisco and I have never been clearer on the potential of how much further it could go. Uh, one of the things that I'd love to talk to people about is the power of storytelling when it comes to not only your own personal story, but also the story of all birds. How do you continue to tell that story to make it fresh, not only to the world, but to also your employees so that they can also be these disciples of this brand? Oh, first and foremost, maybe a couple of things. I think you, you have to keep having fun yourself. I feel inc- incredibly um, fortunate. I mean, I, I don't need to tell you that the odds of this being here today in the way that it is are, are, are sort of close to zero. And so I, f- I feel I feel very fortunate, and I and I I'm having a lot of fun. You know, one of the there's lots of things that are hard about entrepreneurship, um, but one of the best things is you get to choose the people you work with. And there's mm. a group of people that have been attracted to this idea, span all walks of life, uh, all levels of experience. And they joined together here to kind of go after this thing. And that's really incredible. And I, I know from my sporting experience, it's a very, very hard thing to do. But if you get a group of people pointed towards something that is bigger than the individuals and you get that group pointed in, in, in a direction going after a, a problem that, that's meaningful, you know, really incredible things can happen. And that's hard to sustain, hard to do, but I don't think work gets better, better than that. And, and on our best days, that, that's the feeling I have at All Birds. And I feel very, very fortunate about that. How well is Allbirds received in New Zealand? Right, well, you have to go. You have to go back. You have to go back and <laughs> find that out, Kate. I don't know. I'd like, <laughs> I, 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 I'd like to. Well, I, I'd like to think that people are, are, are proud of this journey. I would very much think that the brand, as it's gone on to to grow and take on a global profile, you know, has its sort of foundations and its spirit, and is very, very much connected in a lot of the materials it continues to use to New Zealand. But hey, uh, you know, maybe but is is it as successful? In New Zealand as it is here or, you know what I mean, or vice versa? Is it more successful in New Zealand than it is in oh, the US? I think we go okay. I think we go okay. I know my mum's <laughs> my, my mom's a big fan still and she wears, she wears them. So I, I think uh, as long as that continues, we're, we're all right. Who inspires you from a business perspective? I know your, your schedule is very full, but as you look to other companies, businesses, and leaders, and you can answer this question however you want, but who is on your radar for inspiration in terms of who stands out? Because I'm sure you inspire a lot of people, just your story and what you've been able to accomplish. So I'm wondering who you are inspired by. Yeah, I, look, I'm, I'm constantly curious about all uh, a, a lot of different things. And I, and I read a lot and 
and and it's within the business world and it's without. I admire folks that have 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 managed to drive something for a long period of time. I think, mm. and I give you one example of Chenard at, at Patagonia, yes, yes. Um, that you know has really stayed true to his roots, his DNA, never forgotten where he's come from, mm-hmm. whatever whatever his version of Cuba Street in Wellington is, mm-hmm. uh, and um, and and it almost feels like that the the focus of, of, of that particular brand has got tighter over time and the identity even clearer and the sense of what they're not just as obvious as the things that they, that they are about. And, um, you know, and that's one of many, but it, it springs to mind, I think, as an example of, 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 of someone who's stuck with something. Because you, what you understand, much like, you know, the Orbit's journey in a, in a much more shrunken timeline is, is if you stick with something o- o- over a long period of time, and I think you intuitively understand this as an athlete, and I kind of like to label it the compounding impact of getting a little bit better at every, every day. When you when you stick it, you know, oftentimes you don't see the progress, but you stick with it, stick with it, and lo and behold, something gets can get good. And and I, I'd like to to think if you zoom out, Allbirds is is similarly positioned uh, and seven years into what I hope will be a hundred year journey. Fantastic! I can see that happening. That would be exciting. Um, anything else you'd like us to know about Allbirds as you look forward to the vision of this company and looking forward? Well, I mean, gosh, how long you got? I got lots to tell you about Allbirds. I mean, I think um, in really, really simple terms, I, I, I think it's really, really interesting moment for our purpose, sustainability, and in many ways, scientists have done their job. They've identified the problem, and I, I think it's there's a now really, really interesting moment for the other side of that coin, which is the art, uh, the storytelling. The ability to take a complicated topic like sustainability that can often mean a hundred things to a hundred different people and make it digestible, understandable. And the fashion industry is really, really good at doing that. And mm-hmm. it's the storytellers, the poets, the documentary filmmakers, the brand builders that oftentimes um, are the ones that translate the complicated science in, into culture. And they make sense of how complicated things are going to shift and impact our daily lives. And I sort of think that's where we are with sustainability. Everyone kind of understands there's a problem there and probably haven't understood exactly what it means for them and how, you know, when they're at the checkout buying something, that the science should impact the way that they consume. And so there's a really, really interesting moment in history, I think, as we as we translate that science into stories and to, into products and find a common language with which to talk about it. So I, I, I think All Goods is, is doing that work and trying really, really hard to, to, to contribute to that conversation. Tim, it's been amazing to hear your journey. Thank you so much for your time today. It's been wonderful to talk to you. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening to To Dine For The Podcast. For more information on the show, the guests, and the podcast, head to todinefortv.com. You can find us on Instagram at todinefortv and Facebook at todinefortwithkatesullivan. Thanks to the sponsors of To Dine For The Podcast, American National, Lavazza, and Terlato Wine Group. Special thank you to producer and sound editor John Golner. To the loyal followers of this program, cheers, stay hungry, and stay inspired. I'll see you back at the table soon. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.